You're listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Putnam. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Putnam, and today I have Lawrence King, who has actually been a big help for me uh, in helping me maintain 100% uh, self-employment. Lawrence is a very ballsy individual, and we'll get into that story here in a little bit. But one thing to take away from this episode is there's going to be some things that uh, Lawrence will mention and I will mention. And if you're paying attention, you can start making money for yourself on the side. Because uh, as a lot of you listeners know, I lost my nine to five job three days ago. And it was not my choice, but thankfully I had other streams of income. So should that happen to you, I think this episode is going to be very valuable. With that said, Lawrence, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Thank you very much for having me, Jeff. Big fan of yours, family man, old school man. Very, very glad to be here. Yeah, I wanted to get you on because uh, you, you and I have uh, kind of interacted uh, a little bit, but not too heavily before I started working with you. But... I, I never heard anyone say anything bad about you. And I watched the way that you managed yourself and your content and the, uh, the teaching that you were doing online. And I was like, you know, what? when I heard, and then I think the, the icing on the cake was when I heard your story about how you end up uh, moving from the UK down to South America, uh, all because of a snide comment from an accountant. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty ballsy. Uh, so I guess uh, we can get into that a little bit because I know people are kind of interested about that. Uh, you were living in the UK. You're from the UK, obviously, because you've got the James Bond accent. And uh, no hard feelings, but 240-something years ago, we won today. It's all good. Winners are winners. You can't do anything about that. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, so you were living in the UK, and you were starting to make a good bit of money, but the taxes pissed you off. There's a little bit of American in you there. And you uh, left the UK because of that. Uh, so you, tell us about that. Yes, that's absolutely right. So just to give a bit of background, in 2012, 2013, I started getting serious about online business uh, by way of Amazon FBA. And I was living in Asia at the time because as soon as I, I had enough money to leave the UK, I left. So I left in 2010, 2011 full time. And I had my taxes all messed up. So I was doing business in the UK with Amazon uh, UK. And I was doing a, a business in America by way of Amazon USA. And I got this tax bill that I wasn't expecting. And just to let you know, if you earn more than six figures in the UK, you're looking at 45% tax. They don't mess around when it comes to tax. The queen's coming for half and she's not messing around. She doesn't want to hear any excuses. You've got to hand her over half, over six, over six figures, it's half. Yeah, that's what started the revolution, man. A hundred percent. Yeah, you guys weren't having it and I wasn't having it either. So I was in Vietnam and I, was, I got this tax bill and I spoke to my accountant. I just like, I don't want to be doing this. And he said to me, look, you've got two choices. Just keep paying or you could stop doing business with the UK entirely and you could move somewhere like, I don't know, Uruguay. And he told me that on a Thursday and I arrived in Uruguay on the Tuesday. Nice. 
So then I took all my Amazon UK stuff, I gave it to my dad and I just continued doing the, because one of the, as a Uruguayan tax resident, also being from the UK, UK citizen, I can't receive money from the UK. That, that money then becomes taxable. So I can only receive money from outside the UK and outside of Uruguay. So I continued doing Amazon FBA in the States, in America. And I just gave everything in the UK away to my dad or just stopped doing it if it wasn't viable for me. And my accountant said to me, look, you can, you could, he gave me this list. And on this list, there was, you know, um, Belize, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, a couple in the Middle East. And I saw Uruguay and I thought, and I had no, I had no idea what Uruguay really was. You know, that Simpsons episode where Homer says you are gay. He reads it as you are gay. Do you remember that? Uh, I might, man, it's been so long since I've seen the Simpsons. Well, it's old school. I mean, he looks at the globe and it says Uruguay and he, he misreads it as you are gay. That's the only thing I knew about going into Uruguay, really that and soccer. And I just turned up on the Tuesday. So I flew from Ho Chi Minh, Vietnam, stopped off in Qatar and then arrived, uh, flew from Qatar to Rio, Rio to Buenos Aires, and then got a boat across to Uruguay. And I arrived there on the Tuesday. And my accountant was like, I can't believe you've actually done this. And I was like, I'm not paying 45% anymore. And that was in 2014, so six years ago now. Yeah, and um, what's the situation like there in uh, Uruguay? I mean, I've heard some stories that uh, the American dollar goes a long way down there. Yeah, Uruguay is one of the more expensive countries in South America. It's one of the most developed and it's one of the most expensive down here. It's, it's kind of known as like the, the Switzerland of South America. You know, it's a tax haven. It's got a very small population. Uh, education levels for the region is very high. It's very safe. Uh, healthcare is also one of the best in the region. So it's not as cheap as say like, I don't know, Brazil or Argentina or, you know, Colombia or something like that. But it's definitely a lot cheaper than, than say the UK or, or the USA. And the biggest difference you'll notice is in like rents rent is a huge difference like a two-bedroom house in the uk could be like two thousand dollars a month rent you know or two thousand five hundred dollars a month rent whereas here you know you're, you're paying 20 percent of that jeez uh, so you moved down to south america and you set up shop there uh what's the reason you can't receive money from the uh, UK down there? Is there some kind of arbitrary tax law they have in place? No, it's, it's for the UK. So the UK, if you're from the USA, you have a different uh, tax situation to me because you get taxed no matter, no matter where you go. You as a USA citizen, you could move to Mars and they're still taxing you. It doesn't matter where you go, what you do, you have to pay tax back home. I think the only way you can get around that, is, I mean, this is my limited understanding on that, is you'd have to give up your American citizenship to not have that situation anymore that's my understanding of it and the uk they're a bit they tax you they tax the hell out of you when you live there but when you're outside of that it's more of like a okay if you're not here anymore don't worry about it i got you so, so if i take money in the uk if i make money in the uk what happens there is i'm then a tax resident of the uk again and then all my income becomes taxable again even if i'm not there but if I'm not there and I don't make any money from the UK, the UK is like, okay, cool. You go do your thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. That was going to be my question was if 
you are you know a non-tax resident from the uk but you start taking money you know that was made in the uk uh, that becomes taxable but that filters into all of the rest of your income period to make yes. it all taxable wow uh, yeah that's yeah. a bit of an overreach i i understand why you cut those ties yeah and sometimes i get a client reach out to me maybe they want amazon services or twitter services or email services and they're from the uk and i just can't accept it i got you okay so you moved down to south america you set up shop down there you got <laughs> excuse me you got tons of passive income coming in or semi-passive and uh you you moved your dad down there a little later right that's right yeah i mean uh me and my dad we've always sort of been best friends and he, when i left the uk he was just in this situation where he was working a you know the, the classic and and in america you can move somewhere like florida or somewhere nice and get some sun in the uk we don't really have that you've it's so small you've got you've got one choice and that's that's gray weather and not very good food so with with that being said like when i left the uk to go to asia i saw him and he just looked completely you know sort of defeated and he sort of just he didn't look the same and i thought i want to i want to go and figure this online stuff out and then i'm going to take you with me and then when amazon took off I got sort of in touch with him. I was like, look, Amazon is doing really well. We could work on this together. And I was trying to convince him to come out to Uruguay for two years. I spent two years every single day arguing with my dad on Skype. We'd have a normal talk like me and you are now for 30, 40 minutes. And then I'd go straight into saying, come on, dad, just, just come on out, get on a plane. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. And he was nervous because he'd never, all he knew was the UK. He'd never lived anywhere else. So he didn't know any different, you know, nearly 60 years old. That was all he knew. And it got, it got to the point where he was in a difficult relationship at the time. And it got to the point where he just, he just messaged me one day and he said, let's get the tickets. I'm coming. Nice. So what's it been like, you know, actually working with your dad? A lot of people have issues when they work with uh, family, they, you know, there's not really a division of labor or, you know, when it comes to it, it's one always tries to say it's all my way or the highway. Yeah, it, it can be it can be difficult at times. Sometimes we argue. Sometimes he hangs up on me on Zoom or Skype or whatever we're using. And uh, but it's just it's it's part and parcel of of working with family, I guess. I mean, they say you should never work with your family, but at the same time, keeping our money together in the family is 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 a huge benefit. And also just having that sort of I think he always remembers, like even when we argue, even when things get difficult, I think we both remember that things could be a lot different. You know, he could be, he could be in the UK still doing his nine to five, you know, and with a life that he wasn't really happy with or enjoying, you know, I could not have my dad with me and, and all the rest of it. So it's, it's definitely a, a huge sort of plus. And I guess we kind of, when we argue, we kind of tend to think about more of those sorts of things. Yeah. Apparently I live in an aviary because of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> living in a zoo there. Yeah, I've uh, I've been told on some of these episodes that uh, they think they're talking to a guy stationed in Jumanji. But, <laughs> so, you know, you, you saw a big change in your dad when he went fully, you know, independent and self-employed versus being tied down at a nine to five. And, you know, I'm barely in the baby beginnings of that myself, just a few days in. But I'm noticing that there's some 
you know, when I wasn't full-time entrepreneur, there'd be days where if I didn't, if I didn't work, you know, on my side businesses or side hustle, whatever you're going to call it, I didn't get paid. It's just like going to a nine to five. If I, if I don't clock in and, and show up, I don't get paid. But you can tweak that to where you only have to work a minimal amount and you have to kind of reframe your mind that the time you spend working does not correlate with the amount of money you make. And that's a hard thing to get out of. So, I mean, was that something that you maybe dealt with a little bit when you were starting to get into the online things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first started doing Amazon services, so after my Amazon business took off in 2013, um, I started doing services for other companies, you know, sales pages, uh, SEO services, things like that. And I was looking, I was going, oh, what, what, what would I be happy working for for an hour? And then I was calculating how many hours it would take and I was charging them. And I was charging, I remember my first client, it was like a $500 retainer for the month. And the problem is when you charge like that, you're, you're going to be attracting the wrong kind of client, number one. And that's not enough. And also people who are looking for Amazon services, they're not going to be happy paying just $500 because they're going to be worried about the level of quality they're going to get. So I was charging per hour. I was thinking, oh, this is going to take me this many hours. I'd be happy with this much money. And now I realize that when you learn a skill, whatever that skill is, you know, if you're listening to this now and, you, and you're about to start learning a new skill or you're about to start doing something, it will get to the point where people stop paying you for your time and they start paying you for the knowledge you have of that subject. So now I get a flat fee just for looking at somebody's Amazon page or a flat fee for reading somebody's email and making a few corrections, you know what I mean? Rather than thinking about it in terms of time because time doesn't matter anymore. You know, when you get to a certain stage, it doesn't really, it means nothing. You know, it could take me 30 minutes or it could take me three hours to look at this thing but the value that I'm providing by looking at this Amazon page for you is what you're going to pay me for. And that's something that took me, that took me about two years to really fully understand. Yeah. Uh, to me, there's a bit of uh, discipline that comes in with it because if you're building a system, it's really easy to not fully trust the system, even though it works. It's, you still get that hang up, I think, of I haven't done enough, I haven't sent enough emails, I haven't plugged enough product or anything like that. And you, you've got all these different ideas and theory and uh, things floating around in your head, especially when it comes to, you know, what's that, uh, the seven times rule? Someone has to see something seven times before they actually pull the trigger and buy it. So you've got that, but then you, you feel you feel a little insecure that you're going to come off spammy or uh, desperate. And, you know, for me, that was something that I had to force myself to not do uh, the day I contacted you uh, uh, to let you know, all right, I'm going to make this thing full time because I've got no other choice. It's, you know, it's feast or famine. If I don't eat, it's all on me. And I started building a system based on the information that, you know, I had learned from you and your email course, and it's difficult to not feel uh, desperate. You're like, oh, I haven't made, because you know, before I could look at my at my watch and go, okay, I've made X amount of money, so these X bills are covered, because I've been on the job on the clock for X amount of time. 
but now it's you know it, it, it almost feels uncertain and what I think people are gonna struggle with uh, for you guys listening if it's your first time you're you have to learn that you're playing the odds you know it's kind of like that old joke if you walk up to a uh, 100 women in a bar and ask them if they want to have sex uh, 99 are going to say no but the one time is worth it and that's what this is yeah I mean one of people's biggest fears is selling right I mean yeah. most people are scared of, of picking up that phone dialing somebody asking asking for money people are scared of uh, you know that sort of it's, it's not natural to us it's natural to buy things but it's not natural to sell things so I find that it works in two different ways. So one, you have to be really, you have to really lose all fear of self-promotion. And I get it all the time, right? I mean, you, you put out a sales tweet or you, or you show some results that you've been getting and you get like four anons on Twitter with, with 10 followers that still live in their mom's basement, you know, coming at you, you know, saying stuff to you. So that's going to happen whenever that's going to happen. You know, you know, that's always going to happen. Whenever you promote yourself, whenever you put yourself out there, there's going to be some sort of hate. So you have to get used to that and you have to learn to let it not affect you. Cause sometimes on Twitter, especially where on Amazon, I don't really get any hate because people go to Amazon, they buy products. They don't even think about somebody being there. You might just get the old nasty customer, but when you put yourself out there on social media or via email, you get a lot more abuse because, and also people are a lot more confident to, you know, to talk smack to you because there's a screen there, you know, they're a million miles away. You don't know who they are you know, the whole thing. So people are a lot, much braver online than they are and they'll say things they normally wouldn't say to you. And also Twitter gives people that would never normally have access to you. Sorry, sorry, one second here. That's all right. Apologies there. That's all right. So also with Twitter, it gives people access to you that would never normally have access to you. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things where uh, somebody who has no experience in something can tell somebody who has a lot of experience that they don't know what they're talking about. And that gives, that gives a lot of power. So your first thing you've got to do is get rid of that fear when you're, when you're selling. The second thing as well is you'll find that it gets to a point actually where you don't even really need to, you'll find this in your journey, which you've just started. It'll get to a point where you don't even really need to promote your products that much. I've done like test weeks where I don't really do any promotions and I kind of semi hide the products away from the timeline just to see what would happen. And I still make sales because people are talking, people are, you know, looking for it. Once you get to a certain point, people start looking for it. You know what I mean? And, and, and that makes a big difference. Like if they hear that you've got the best grooming products, they're going to start coming to look for you when enough people start generating buzz for you. So I've definitely found that like there's a point of self-promotion, but then there's also the promotion that comes from just doing a good job over a, a long period of time. Yeah, I experienced that uh, when I first got started with Rugged Legacy. I, you know, I was making the products at my house, packaging them. Wow. And then when people started buying them faster than I could make them and, you know, the only way to get in touch with me at that point was on Twitter. I think I had maybe 300 followers 
and this was January of 2019. You know, I joined in January 2019. And it's gotten to the point now where I can't, I mean, because I was never in a position financially to do so with my company, uh, pay for, you know, paid traffic. And so my business grew from 12 products being made in my kitchen to over 40 products being made you know, in a manufacturing plant shipped through a, a 3PL company uh, on repeat business and word of mouth in 10 months. And so that was the kind of the explosion thing for me. And, you know, I didn't have to do anything. I just kept doing the, the same job that I was doing, but it was the word of mouth from customers. And I think that's the best form of uh, advertisement is, you know, a review or uh, a customer just talking to you in a public forum where they're just telling you they love your, you know, they love your products, they want more of your products, and they're giving you suggestions. And, you know, people love that kind of thing. But with, like, yeah, like you said, with email marketing or affiliate marketing, there's that fear of all these people trust me. And so you wonder if, you know, cause I did have someone just the other day sent me an email in reply to one of my sales emails. He says, uh, I don't want stuff sold to me. I'm unsubscribing. I just emailed him back and said, okay, no hard feelings. Enjoy your day. But what I, what I look at is I see uh, the activity on my email marketing platform, my, you know, the email software, and I'll see the, two subscribe here, three subscribe here, eight subscribe here, five subscribe here, click through, click through, click through, click through, and then two unsubscribes. I'm okay with those odds. You know, I mean, for every two I'm losing, I'm building 20. But it was only because I started another business prior to trying to get into 100% online income uh, that I lost all that fear of rejection or rubbing a potential customer the long way because I came to realize that there's money everywhere and you're not limited to a tiny market of people. Everybody has something they want to buy no matter who it is or what it is. And if one person leaves, there's another 6.9 billion out there that have the potential to you know, put money in your wallet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said. And, and also what you're doing there with email lists, this is another thing that a lot of people that I've helped build email lists say like, oh, but people are unsubscribing or people are unfollowing. That's actually a good thing. Because like, if you think of it this way, you don't want people that don't want to be there, there. You know, you've, you, you, it's like, a, it's like a workplace. You don't want people there that aren't going to be there. You don't, they don't, you know, they don't serve a purpose for your end goal of generating an income for yourself. So for example, I'm a coffee addict. Let's just use me as an example. I'm a coffee addict. I cannot go into it. Uh, you too. I like that. <laughs> I like that. So I'm a coffee addict. I go into a supermarket here in Brazil or in Uruguay. They're doing a promotion on coffee. Somebody hands me the coffee and says, I'll take this coffee. It's on promotion today. I'm taking it. Somebody emails me about coffee. I'm not going to be upset about it. Someone emails me how to get the best blend or how to get the best whatever or the best new machine out there. I'm not upset about it. And if you are a coffee company and you have 2000, 3000 of me, you never have to worry about money ever again. 
just because that's, you found 2,000 or 3,000 me's. Yeah, that's the, uh, the million fan rule, right? Yeah, exactly. And I would even say, you know, a thousand fans. So even if you had a thousand of me and you've got an email list of coffee lovers and I'm on there and there's, thousand, there's a thousand Lawrence Kings on your list, you send an email, two emails a week to that list, you know, you're going to make a few hundred sales each time. Each time yep. you do that. So if, if you have somebody on your list who doesn't like coffee and they're like, listen, man, coffee's not my thing. I'm more into tea. You know, I, I didn't really understand what I was getting myself into when I joined your list. I'm going to unsubscribe. That's fine. You don't like coffee, then no problem. I need to find people who like coffee. You don't like coffee. I guess it's just not meant to be. And that's one thing that people often forget about. They sort of see the, the unsubscribes and they think it's like really negative or the unfollows. Sometimes I lose followers on Twitter and I gain a lot more than I lose, obviously. Uh, I've been doing very well since I lost the account and I've, and I've started fresh, but I'll lose followers. I think that's okay. You know, this kind of content isn't for them. That's all that means. And I need to find, I need to find thousands of people who it is for and really, really strongly believe in. And that's what I've managed to do now with this email. I've managed to get my main list, which is about six and a half thousand at the moment. Um, there are 2000 hardcores on there. So I never have to worry ever again, just be, just from that, that alone, that one email list of many is enough for me to be able to say, you know, I'm okay because I can just email that list. Let's imagine I had no money for whatever reason. You know, let's imagine you have an email list, but you don't have any money. You need to pay your bills by Friday. You can email your list Thursday to pay your bills Friday. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing. Yeah. You know, and that is the epitome of the, uh, the 1 million fan rule, you know, uh, for those of you listening who don't know what that is, uh, the 1 million fan rule is that you don't need a million fans. You just need a thousand fanatics, you know, the people who are going to eat up anything you put out. And I learned that early on with Rugged Legacy. There's a whole lot of people that Rugged Legacy is just not for because of the branding, the, the culture of the company itself. And no matter what I do, unless I completely change all of that, they're never going to be a customer. But if I do change it to make them a customer, I'm isolating and removing all of the other ones who are already there. You know, people develop loyalties to companies. You know, there's, there's, there's going to be those that will buy anything you put out simply because you are the one that put it out. And with, you know, like, like you said, with uh, people unsubscribing or unfollowing or not buying, all that does is, remove a lot of the noise uh, from it and you get it's, it's a, a curation of sorts where they you know the people on your list are the hardcore so if everybody who's never going to buy from you uh, unsubscribes and you go from the what, what did you said a 6,000 plus list to a 2,000 plus list but those 2,000 are the hardcores then every email you're guaranteed 100% open and 100% click rate and 100% buy rate almost and so it, it's, it's a little bit of a peace of mind there because you know who your people are. You know that they are going to be responsive because they're already warm. You know, they've already been, you know, a part of your brand and uh, your list for so, for so long. They're the most active members. So if that's the only people there, you know, you don't have to try to convince them to buy. They're going to buy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are times where I'm sure you've had this as well, where you go slightly off topic on Twitter or you're trying something new. You'll get, you'll get people that write to you underneath going, don't like this content. 
unfollowed and you know i don't know why they they do that but i always think well that's fine you know it's 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 never personal this is what i need to do to achieve the goal i want to achieve and and you're not one of the the people you know what i mean like uh that's just that's just how it is and and with twitter what i've managed to do is i've managed and this is the good thing about money twitter i mean we are so lucky to be on money twitter and for those listening that aren't sure what money twitter is it's uh it's a community on twitter where people business owners and online business owners sort of get together and so it's a really cool community on money twitter you know i would say a, a follower on money twitter is is worth like tw- money wise it's worth like 20 30 40 followers from any other account and this big youtuber reached out to me um a few months ago and he said listen i've got 120,000 followers on twitter I want to run some promotions because I, I want to be monetizing my, my audience more. I was like, go for it, man. So he, he took an affiliate link for one of my products and he put it out there. He didn't get any sales, 120,000 followers didn't get a single sale. And he just got two nasty comments under it. And I thought to myself, wow, we are so lucky to be part of a corner of Twitter where people are, are a interested in those kinds of products and b looking to improve and looking to do things with their lives. And uh, it's, 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 it's such a valuable corner. Yeah, it really is. Um, I, you know, I, I ended up there by default, just trying to, this is the only reason I joined Twitter was because I was starting a company and I knew that social media was free advertisement, especially when I spent every last dime Smart. of my savings on getting it started. I just knew that uh, my wife had started a blog cause she's a stay at home mom and she was uh, blogging about some mom hacks and some, baking tips, DIY crafting, things like that. And I said, the only way to, you know, get more clicks is to have people in front of it, you know, throw it in their faces like a billboard. The only place to do that without having to pay for it's, you know, Twitter and social media. And so I got her there and I saw how quickly that she, her blog was taking off. And I said, okay. So when I'm starting this company, uh, it was kind of like a no brainer. And, you know, you attract the type of follower as to whatever content you're putting out. So if you're constantly putting out fitness, you're going to attract fitness fanatics. If you're constantly tweeting about, you know, business or side hustle money or self-improvement, you attract those people. And for me, my brand with rugged legacy was a, a bit of a, a mutt as it were. Um, there's a lot of aspects about rugged legacy that are completely unrelated to making any money whatsoever. But the other aspects are about, you know, improving one's station, self-improvement, financial improvement, uh, being a better husband, being a better man, being a better father. But a part of being a man, you know, because a man isn't one-dimensional, a part of that is you know, providing more for your family and, pro- and creating financial stability. And so I, I kind of just ended up in like this perfect storm of people who they wanted to improve every part of themselves, not just their fitness, not just their finances, not just their appearance and their grooming and all this other. And I'm pretty sure I could go a a lot further if I were to completely isolate on a certain niche, but that's not what a man is. And that's, you know, what my company represents is a holistic improvement of every facet of a man's life. And so I've got 
some that'll never buy. I've got some that'll always buy and I've got some that'll, you know, eat up every free thing I put out, which is fine. It's, you know, it's free, but ending up in that corner when you start, uh, and then you build that kind of following. Oh, it, it's, it's valuable. It's very valuable. hundred percent. With Go Hunt America, you can experience your own outdoor adventure at the touch of your finger. You can find hunting, fishing, and camping spots anywhere in the U.S., put there by private landowners, and you can even list your own. It doesn't matter if it's a large tract of land or a small duck blind. Just go to GoHuntAmerica.com to get started. Coming soon to the Google Play and Apple App Store. Hey, this is Nate from Unlimited Life Concepts, and we teach people how cash flow strategy can be just as powerful as investing. Imagine being able to earn interest off of every dollar that flows through your hands, whether you're spending it or saving it. We offer a lifetime membership to our financial education platform for $77, but right now you can use promo code RUGGEDLEGACY and save 50% off. So when you got into uh, email marketing, uh, right now you're pretty much living 100% just on uh, email affiliate and uh, your Amazon. Um, what would you, without giving away, I mean, we love giving away free things, but without giving away too much, uh, what are some uh, hacks and tips for people who are trying to get into that? Because uh, that's the, one of the main reasons that uh, people are going to be listening to this is they're going to want to know what they can do to put more money in their wallet because, you know, money can't buy happiness, but it's easier to be happier when your bills are paid. You've got extra money. Sure. Well, for Amazon, which is my main business and has been for the last six, seven years, I would say sell what's selling. Go Amazon tells you what's selling. So it's an incredible thing. Imagine going to a high street in New York and you can literally go around and see what's selling in New York and people will tell you that's Amazon because Amazon has the top hundred sellers and you can look through that and you can see each product and where it ranks in its category. And Amazon even does you another favor on top of that, where it shows you what's selling with that product. So Amazon literally hands people on a plate, this product here is selling. And by the way, people are also buying this product here as well. So that would be my recommendation for Amazon would be, be to sell what is already selling, you know, and, and people talk about saturated this and saturated that. I mean, you weren't the first person to do male grooming and you won't be the last person to do male grooming, but you've managed to make a success out of it. Why? Because you came in, you did, you worked hard, you made sure you were different. And uh, when you're very good at what you do, saturation doesn't exist. Right. So, I mean, take an example from your coffee perspective. How many different brands of coffee are there? How many different brands of bottled water? How many different brands of uh, toilet paper? You know, everybody's going to buy it. And people typically buy the exact same product from one company versus another. 100%. Just simply because the messaging of the branding is different. 
exactly. And I've got 20, I've got, I've got two, two coffee next to me here. I've got two coffee machines and about 20 different brands of capsules. So you're hundred percent spot on there, Jeff, for what you're saying. So that would be my advice for Amazon. If you wanted to get started on Amazon, though, that would be the main thing. Sell what's selling, find something, find a product that's easy to white label and you know, maybe you can get local suppliers for it, whether you're in the UK or the USA to make it a bit easier. Um, my thing is weight loss supplements because they're very easy to sell. And I would say go down that route. That would be my tips for Amazon. For Twitter, which is my next uh, income source, I would say when you open a Twitter account, the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure that you understand what your branding is because that, that becomes an important part of your identity. And I, as you said very well, Jeff, if you, what you put out, you get back in on Twitter. You know, you look at anybody with a negative account, you know, one of these whiners, one of these people that spends all day complaining and crying on Twitter, their fans or their, or their followers also cry and whine the whole time. So you need to really think about what you're going to put out there because you're going to get exactly the same back in way of followers. Then I would say, Tweet high quality content every two to three hours. You know, don't over tweet, don't under tweet. Every two, three hours, six to eight times a day is, is pretty sweet. And uh, make sure that you, you tweet for the masses. Make sure you're not just tweeting extremely niche stuff. You want your stuff to get shared. You know, sometimes I see people that tweet really, really, sometimes I see people who are way more intelligent than me on Twitter. I'm, I mean, I see it all the time. They're a thousand times more intelligent than me, but they don't get any traction because they're too niche specific, they're too detailed, you know, they're, they're going into great details about uh, sort of very niche topics. So I would say don't sort of over tweet, um, don't sort of tweet down too much, you know, have a few tweets like that, but make sure that it's coming out to the masses and uh, to be consistent to never quit. You know, when I first started Twitter, my dad said to me, what are you doing? You know, we're doing well on Amazon. What are, you, what are you doing messing around on Twitter? And it looks terrible from the outside Twitter. A couple of likes on a post, a couple of shares. And I had no idea when I started the Twitter journey where it was going to go. I had, if someone had told me, oh, you're going to be making, you know, 20 to 30K a month on Twitter in a year's time, I would never have believed it. Never in a million years. And that comes down to consistency and uh, just sticking with it, not quitting. I see most people quit on Twitter because the first few months are just exhausting. You know, you're tweeting at the wall. Nobody's really, you know, nobody's engaging with you. Nobody cares what you have to say. Nobody knows you yet. So I would say on Twitter to be consistent. I mean, I'm sure you, you would share that. Yeah, you know, I built to 16,000 followers in 17 months, but it was because what I was saying, uh, what I have this very, uh, no holds barred. I'm not pulling any punches type of, you know, uh, demeanor in all of my tweets, but it's not, I mean, some of them are, but majoritively they're not intentionally abrasive. Uh, some of them are just because that's the way they have to be. And it can be a little polarizing here and there. But I just kept on tweeting and kept on tweeting. And on average, I was gaining about a thousand followers a month. And I noticed that when I quit for 
couple of weeks uh, that I lost all of that momentum and I lost all of that traction. And my followers just kind of stagnated uh, around 14,000, I believe. And then I had to step back, reframe, and go right back into it. And it took it another three weeks, but then I caught back up to the where I would have been had I never fallen off of that. And it was just simply from keep throwing it at the wall. 100%. When I lost my I, – I grew my Twitter account from zero to 17.9K followers in, in a year. I had my old phone number on file and Twitter came for a verification. I couldn't verify. So they suspended my account. And, uh, they, they at first they, they, it was like a temporary suspension. They eventually, they didn't answer me. They didn't respond to any of my, uh, my messages, but uh, people were like, Oh, don't worry. You'll get your account back. I was saying, I don't really want it back. It's been inactive for a month. It's lost like 300 followers because I started a new Twitter and people followed me there instead. And I thought I don't really want it back because it's going to be so difficult to get that engagement back and get that flow back. I'd rather just start from scratch. And I should hopefully with this new account now, I should hopefully hit 10 K followers in the first 30 days. That's awesome. I'm so happy. And I'm so grateful as well for people like yourself, people like Jose Rosado, rogue wealth, all these people, all these big accounts that sort of helped me, you know, uh, and so many more, by the way, to mention that I would, uh, you wouldn't have long enough podcasts for me to be able to, uh, thank everybody that helped me, but they really, as soon as my account went, they, the whole community came and helped me. And, uh, that was just incredible. You know, I really can't really take much too much credit for being able to bounce back the way that I have just because I got so much support. Yeah. That's another really cool thing about our community is that, uh, we kind of rally around each other. Um, if one person starts going down, you know, for no fault of their own or, mm. you know, maybe someone gets swapped by the mob or whatever, <laughs> or, you know, the other mob Twitter, everybody kind of rallies around and goes, oh, you know what? This guy was pushing it pretty well. And then an unfortunate series of events kind of uh, screwed him over a little bit. And so everybody rallies around and brings him back. But the only reason we do that is because we're consistently putting in effort. If we saw someone who was not consistently putting in effort, you know, they, they get what comes to them, whatever. 100%. And that's just how we are. Also on the way up as well, how you, this is another thing for people looking to grow a Twitter account on the way up, how you treat people and how you put yourself out there is going to make a huge difference when you need people. You know, if, if you come out there with, I'm better than you sort of mentality, you know, you're calling people out, you're looking for drama every two weeks, you're looking for problems. You know, if I, if I had come up with that sort of mentality, nobody would help me. You know, if I'd come out with those, you know, those tweets, I'm, my life's better than yours. I make more money than you. I do, you know, these tacky tweets. If I'd come up with that mentality, people would have been like, no, thanks. You know what I mean? Not this guy, not that Lawrence King guy, but because I, I never really disrespected anybody. I've never called anybody out on Twitter. It's not my thing. You know, I just try and put out as much value as I can out there. I think that that also helps, you know, always remember when you, you know, always remember to be nice to people on the way up because you can come down very hard and uh, you might need some friends. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. There, there are the few exceptions because uh, we both know the ones who put out the, uh, the, my life is better than yours. You'll never be on my level. Uh, 
kind of tweets and they have yeah. massive followings but they're attracting people who are attracted to that kind of lifestyle so again it's you know the uh uh you get out what you put in 100%. but it's hard to find people that will uh want to consistently back up your polarization of a tweet just for the sake of it yeah 100 percent, 100 percent, and i think as well you know like you say if, if you if you put what you put out in terms of content you're just going to get back in followers i think that's what you said there earlier in the podcast was really really well put because it's going to make such a difference and you see it as well you know if i know a guy who's into tech i see tech followers and if i see a guy who's constantly calling people out and throwing out negativity i look at his comments under his tweets and it's going to be the same thing you know call so and so out now and do this you attract what you put out yeah and that's the great thing about no matter what kind of brand someone whether it's a you know personal brands are huge now um i didn't think i would have a personal brand but i ended up having one um, by default, but whatever kind of brand or uh, culture you want to create, social media has a corner for it. And one of my mistakes uh, early on that propelled me a little bit, but I started going in a weird direction. Um, uh, everybody knows what the manosphere is. Yes. I was by default, and I didn't even intend to go there, but the type of content that I was putting out attracted, you know, that kind of thing. And with the good came the bad. And then what was it like la late last year, mid last year, there was this uh, gigantic um, manosphere beef, you know, people from one team arguing against another team and they were yelling about some color pills. And <laughs> it, it, it was, yeah, it was just back and forth. And I was like, uh, I did not mean to wind up here. So I had to just like cut ties with all of that. Cause that was, that was not my intention to get there. But, and, you know, I just got kind of dragged into that and, you know, to be honest, I did contribute a little bit to it. Uh, uh, some intentional, some unintentional, uh, but I paid for that with my growth slowing down. And so I had to reframe and move out of that. But with, uh, to the original point I was trying to make, there's a corner for everything on Twitter. There's a there's a welder's corner. There is an electrician's corner. There's a, a DIY crafter's corner. No matter what it is, there's a corner for your personal uh, uh, or specific brand that you're going to try to grow. Um, you know, literally anything, there's a specific corner that it's almost like no other part of Twitter exists. Like your corner is all of Twitter. You know, and unless you see something that went viral with six million likes and comments and you click on it and you go, holy crap, there's all these different people I've never heard of, you know, and you're like, <laughs> I don't know who these people are or what they're about, but I'm really glad I'm not part of that corner of, yes. of, of social media. Angry Twitter, especially angry Twitter. Angry oh Twitter, political Twitter. Um, political Twitter tends to bleed over into a little bit of everything, though, because I don't think there's anybody that doesn't have some iota of a political preference or opinion but uh there's just all these weird corners of twitter that you might think that nobody is going to give a crap about your brand or your product because you start off in a corner of twitter like ours for example you know money twitter uh self-improvement twitter that kind of deal and let's say you have 
some software that you developed or an app that you developed that's going to help, you know, categorize anime or something. There is an anime quarter of corner of Twitter that you can go into and build a gigantic following in that corner. Um, and you're never going to see anybody from the corner that you and I are in again, because you tend to just drift out of that corner and into your own corner, but they're out there. Every single kind of corner is out there. You just got to find it. The, the biggest 100%. problem for me is that I was thinking that, and it's easy to uh, on Twitter. Um, I was, you, know, you get the impression that the corner of Twitter you by default wound up in when you first started is uh, all there is. And then you start spreading. You're like, I had no idea these people existed, you know, because they're not, you know, celebrities, uh, you know, of their own right. They might be, you know, well known in certain corners of Twitter. But I mean, hell, there's people who, oh, I mean, take Zuby for example. He's like 290,000 followers right now, and there's still plenty of people on Twitter who've never heard of him. 100%. It's massive. Yeah, it's truly massive. And Twitter is the best way to get the thousand followers, the thousand diehard followers we were talking about. Twitter is the best way to do it. And I have a lot of Twitter accounts. I don't just have my one. I have a lot of niche Twitter accounts that I automated and made. And they end up the same. If I make a coffee account or I make a dad joke account, I get a thousand people who love dad jokes, who never get bored of dad jokes. They would never, ever, ever, ever say to me, hey, please don't email me any dad jokes. I don't want these you know, or I'm going to unsubscribe or I'm going to unfollow or whatever. They come for that. And Twitter is the cheapest and the fastest way, in my opinion, to find a thousand uh, diehard fans. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's basically like your first day on Twitter is kind of like your first day of high school. You walk in there and you've got all these different cliques. You know, you've got the jocks, you've got the chess nerds, you've got the band geeks, you've got... Uh, the stoners and the goths and the emos and there's all these little clicks that you know you just have to figure out which one you're going to jump into and be a part of and then when you're 100%. there that's it's it's like that's in your entire world and and it's it's funny and uh really interesting how how it works out that way because just like in high school you see some bleed over you know there might be some jocks who hang out with or is really cool or sits in class with a little goth kid or whatever and so you see some crossover but the goth guy doesn't go and try to talk about you know whatever depressing music to the jocks you know he saves that for his corner and the mm -hmm. jocks not trying to talk sports stats with you know the the evo kids he saves that for his corner uh and so you know twitter's the same way especially when you're building a brand or an audience uh, for whatever niche or uh, personal uh, like genre of content that you're trying to put out. 100%. And when I first joined Twitter, it was the same thing for me because there's so many different, you know, you've got the, the alpha guys, you've got the, the agency guys, you've got the e-com guys, you know, all these different things. And I just thought, man, I don't know where I fit in here because not many people do Amazon. Very few people do. And, uh,
well, while... Uh, I'm back now. Got you. There, there we are. So when I first joined Twitter, I didn't really know where I fitted in, but I just thought, you know what? Share your story, share the little that I know, share the story about my dad and how I've done certain things and, and try and maybe help a few people and see if I can help people first. And then if I can turn this into an income stream later down the line, that would be a huge plus. And fortunately for me, that that's worked out. Yeah. And it, Again, you're, the only way you're going to find out where you fit in is by throwing your content out. And the people that are 100%. meant to be a part of your audience are just going to show up eventually. 100%. I think it, it comes down to that. And then one thing I find that I've done as an extra is I've researched over this year that I've been on Twitter. I've sort of researched what works. And I know now I can do a tweet and I can go, yeah, that's going to do 300 likes. Or that one's going to do 40, but it's 40 likes, but it's a very valuable tweet and it's going to get the right eyes on my content. Or this is going to bomb, but I like it. So I'm going to tweet, which I don't usually do too many of those. But you can very quickly find out what people in your niche like, what they want to hear. And it's no different from like, if you're on angry Twitter, you know, if I, were, if I was on angry Twitter and I tweeted out something like, oh, everything's unfair. My life is unfair. Nobody loves me. You know, it might get a thousand likes. If I was on angry Twitter and I tweeted something like, hey guys, everything's your fault and you can take responsibility for your life anytime you want, it's probably gonna bomb. And that's what I love about this corner of Twitter. It's like the polar opposite. You know, if I tweeted out something really negative and nasty, I'd probably lose 10 followers and get like a like on a post. You know what I mean? And, and, I, and I really love that about our corner. Yeah. And if you're paying attention to those, uh, and this is for anybody who's looking to start like seriously trying to build an audience. If you pay attention for, uh, to what content gets you the likes, what content gets you the engagement, uh, the comments, the retweets, if you pay attention to that and you can strategize, you can say, all right, well, I'm only going to put out this type of content in this, you know, format or with this mood behind it and you'll explode if you pay attention to it. 100%. And, and with me, what I've done is I've got two kinds of tweets. One, which is for the masses. I don't go into much detail. It's mostly about feeling good or feeling positive, you know, giving a bit of dopamine to the reader. Those tweets, I know are going to get lots of retweets, lots of likes. So I try and if I'm tweeting eight times a day, I'm looking for like four to five tweets a day to be like that. Then the other three to four tweets are going to be more detailed for the people who are, who like the information. You know, they're interested in email open rates. They're interested in click through rates. They're interested about how to get thousands of followers uh, on Twitter or in their email marketing uh, lists. And it will be more detailed for those kinds of people. And that will get the sort of, that will attract more eyes. So I'm not just putting out kind of fluff. Some of it will be kind of fluff for the masses, feel good stuff. And then, the other half will a third to a half will be sort of higher value kind of tweets. And I find I think you're cutting out again, buddy. Yeah. Sorry. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine now. Yeah. Apologies. The internet in the hotel, I'm in a hotel at the moment. The internet's just, uh, it's not great. So uh, cutting out. So what I was saying there was, is 
you know, the, the tweets will be more detailed for the sort of people that want that kind of information that want to go a bit deeper and then the other, the other half. And I find with those two things, that's what's helped me grow my following. Yeah, it's pretty simple, you know, tweet something everybody likes to hear. And then when, you know, in your, the off tweet is tweet something that someone might want to learn. And the ones that do want to learn it are going to engage on that. And then all of their people are going to see it. And then the 500 out of their 6,000, you know, their 6,000 followers are going to see that and go, oh, okay. 100%. You know, you've got more eyes on it. It's, again, it's like we talked about earlier. It's playing the odds. 100%. You know. And and people complain. Like I see people all the time complaining like, oh, platitudes this, oh, platitudes that on Twitter. The thing is, you need people to share your content. And if that's what people like, give them that content. That's That's one thing I would really recommend for anyone who's just starting out on Twitter. Don't worry about what the minority says. You know, if I tweet something, and it's a platitude, which for those that don't know, a platitude is like, you know, uh, generic advice or generic self-help or generic feel-good stuff. And that tweet gets 3,000 likes. And I get two people underneath it going, oh, this is a platitude. I don't like it. It's, it's. Sorry, man. It's all right. We're going to blame the hotel again. Yeah. <laughs> so if I tweet something out and it gets 3000 likes and it's considered a platitude and then I get a few comments underneath it going, Oh, this is a platitude. I don't like this. Does it really matter? No, because I, I, I the majority liked it. And that's one thing I would always say the, the critics always loudest, but they're the minority. So just focus on what people want. And that's what TV networks do. If they see a reality TV shows doing well, there's going to be 10 more of those popping up. And that's exactly how you should be on Twitter. You should be looking at what people want and giving people what they want. And that makes all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, we're coming up on the hour mark. And uh, before we go, uh, first, I want to thank you for coming on because uh, I think that everything that you and I've talked about uh, is something that's, even if only one person decides to take you know any action on anything and try to apply it to you know building an online income then it's worth it because that's one more person who is you know going to change their life and be able to pay their bills off uh, take their wife out to eat or their family on vacation but uh, before we wrap it up uh, is there anything else you'd uh, like to just throw out there that I didn't uh, have the foresight to ask yeah, uh, one thing I'd like to mention as well is something I've helped you with in the last few days is with the email marketing. I'd really like to help people get more emails on their list. So one big mistake people make on Twitter and in general, even websites, companies, everybody, they all make this mistake where they, their call to action for people to join their email list is extremely weak. So they'll say, hey, join my list, daily emails. And, and that's not going to get you results because nobody wants a daily email. You know, if you gave me your number now and I said, hey, Jeff, I'm going to call you every day forever. You'd be like, why are you going to do that? What are you doing? You know what I mean? You'd block me. You'd be talking to your wife. You'd be like, this Lawrence guy is crazy. I gave him my number the other day because he promised me a free gift. 
And now he's phoning me every day. You know, you, the traction would be terrible. So that's a feature, daily emails. It's not a benefit. So what you want to do is you want to hit your list with one, a very high valuable lead magnet, which would usually cost money, but doesn't cost money today for them and for them only make them feel special. And second, your call to action to your list needs to be something solid, like, you know, what you're going to provide, what's going to happen, what's going to be the genuine benefit for somebody. And I know this is really simple, but as you've seen in the last couple of days, it can make the difference between you having a few hundred emails on your list and a few thousand emails on your list and creating another income stream for yourself. Oh, absolutely. Um, my email list, uh, I, when I looked this morning, it's grown by 82% in three days with uh, a lead magnet. Because, you know, I, I write ebooks, I write courses, and I have a course that costs 100 bucks. But I give it away for free to people who sign up for my email address, and they can make a lot of money uh, by just following the, the, the advice in that course. But I'm okay with not getting the $97 uh, for them buying that course if, in the long run, I'm, one, I'm helping people uh, make extra money on the side. And two, uh, I'm getting more people uh, to have eyes on my content because more people means, you know, more opportunities for someone to click through and click-throughs lead to buys. And that's the goal. Also, those emails are yours. This is another thing about email marketing that I love about it. Those emails are yours. My followers on Twitter are not mine. I could lose my account again tomorrow. Twitter could literally wake up tomorrow and go, yeah, let's just get rid of his account again for no reason. And it's gone. Whereas my email list is there forever. And when I lost my Twitter account the first time, I gained about 2000 followers from my email list because I was able to send the email list out saying, hey, listen, I've lost my Twitter account. I've got a new one. Please follow me here. And I got 2000 followers from the 6,000 emails I have just from that. So having an email list is your property. If MailChimp cancels you, which they've done to a few people, you can take your list and go somewhere else. You can't do that with Twitter. You can't do that with Instagram. You can't do that with Facebook. You can only do that with email lists. So that's another real strong reason for people to seriously think about getting an email list set up. Well, absolutely. Especially if you're trying to uh, build a brand or build a business, you know, platforms being unreliable with, you know, random, you know, mishaps like what yours was with the phone number or someone doesn't like your content. So they report you and you get banned. Well, then you're screwed and you have to start all back over. 100%. Or, you know, w with you being able to get 2000 uh, followers with your new account right off the bat, uh, thanks to your email list, that's 2000 potential retweets to get it in front of an unlimited number of people again to find exactly. you once more. And also, let's say I decided, let's say I keep going on Twitter for another year. I get my list up to 12,000. And then I go, you know what? I'm sick of Twitter. I don't want to do this anymore. And I stop. My list would go down because people would unsubscribe every email. But I would be generating income from that email list forever if I emailed it. Yeah. You know, and I would be curating that list and all the rest of it. So an email list is just, it's one of my favorite favorite pieces of uh, real estate, favorite pieces of online income, because I'm not paying anything either. I'm not paying, 
you know, if you do paid ads, you know, you pay the money, 2000 people see it, you hope it works on an email. I'm not paying anything. If an email bombs, it didn't cost me anything, cost me 15, 20 minutes to write. If an email makes a thousand dollars, then I made a thousand dollars by doing 15 to 20 minutes worth of work. So huge, huge thing there. Yeah. And you can even build your email list without social media. You should figure out something else free to give them and offer an incentive to forward it to a friend. hundred percent. And so many ways to grow. Oh yeah. And just have a link for your landing page and Hey, uh, you know, you, cause you, there's settings on all kinds of email marketing platforms, uh, forward this email and you can have an automation set up. Any person that forwards that email, it triggers, they get another email to them with a code or a, uh, a file of something free that uh, you've created uh, that they find valuable and that's their incentive that's the, the the lead magnet that they go all I have to do is hit forward type in a buddy's email and I get you know free shit <laughs> 100% they're gonna do it everybody loves free stuff and that's another thing on Twitter as well. It's so important, your lead magnet. I mean, I've joined so many email lists just to see what emails they put out and what lead magnet they put out and everything. And I've joined lead magnets where it's literally just a PDF with pretty much nothing in it because they think, oh, I'll tell them it's this and they'll get it and they're on my list then and then they're there now. You know, there's nothing they can do about it. And what you want to do is you want to, you want to give them something for your lead magnet they would have been happy to pay for. You know, where they would have gone, man, I would have paid $20 for this. Wow. And then when you come back and you're like, hey, listen, you know, you've got my free stuff. How about some paid stuff? What do you think of this? They're going to be like, well, if it's free stuff I would have paid for, his paid stuff must be really good. And your chance of turning them into buyers from your list is going to be huge. It's going to be much bigger than you just getting them on their daily emails, join my list, have a little PDF with not much in it. You know, and that's exactly what you've done. And people are going to get your course now. And I do a similar thing. I give my... Uh, Udemy course away on Amazon, which, you know, is worth money and people get it for free on Twitter. And it makes it so much easier to convert people because they're like, wow. And I get emails saying, wow, I can't believe you gave this away for free. Thanks. And you know, that's what you want. That should be your number one goal when you're making an email list. What can I do to make, because it's, it's also your first impression. That's going to be your list's first impression of you. And if your first impression is a terrible little PDF with not much in it, you know, with just to get them on your list, that's going to reflect in the unsubscribes. That's going to reflect in the clicks. That's going to reflect in the buys. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, keep in mind that uh, this is for you guys listening. Keep in mind that you're not looking for instant gratification. You, you're not, you're not looking for, I send them an email, they buy now. You're looking for, I send them an email and it intrigues them uh, about what's coming next. And, you know, <laughs> the emails that I've sent out, I look at the click reports and I look at the open reports and I see, you know, it'll have 300 clicks, but it's only got 100 uh, unique clicks. That means a hundred people opened it three times to reread it and reevaluate the content. And they're like, oh, and so, you know, it hit with those and then you can see the content, the, the, the contacts that did do those uh, multiple opens, you know, and you know that this is the kind of content that they kind of gravitate towards and whether it was, you know, uh, about coffee or about fitness or about parenting, whatever it is, 
you can just make another little list and have these people as your parenting people that are going to always be the ones that react to your parenting emails and you can send them on a separate list. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just like you would with Twitter. Yeah. Find what people like, give them more of it. Yeah. That should be the, uh, the main mantra for this episode, find what people like and give it to them. I like that. Yeah. That's the six, that's the success model. Yeah. I started out on Amazon. I found what people like to buy. I sold that. I started on Twitter a year ago. I found what content people liked. I gave them more of that. I started getting emails. I found what people like to open. I gave them more of that. Simple. Very simple. Yeah. Sounds good. We're up here on the, uh, the hour mark. So, uh, Lawrence, man, thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me, Jeff. Real pleasure to be here. You're an old school man, family man. Got a lot of time for you. And if there's anything I can do for you, you know where I am. Oh, absolutely. Same applies, man. If you ever uh, so. want to knock a woman up nine times, I'm the guy to come <laughs> to for advice. <laughs> I might see you about that one day. Uh, I look forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. Uh, and for everybody listening, uh, there will be links to uh, courses that uh, Lawrence teaches in the show notes. Uh, there will also be uh, the information on where you can reach and follow him on Twitter. Uh, he's at Lawrence King Yo on Twitter, but, but I will have his at name in the show notes uh, as well. Just in case you forget it by the time <laughs> I stop recording, because that happens to me too. But thanks for listening, and I'll catch you guys on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the content on all of the episodes, especially this one here. If you'd like to become a contributor and support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash rugged legacy and click on the support icon. Everyone wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire. This has been a Rugged Legacy production.